Ephesians chapter 6. We'll begin our reading in verse 5 and read through verse 9 this morning. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord, and not persons with Him. Let's pray together. Father, all these moments, we thank you again for the privilege together to open and proclaim its truth as Christ is revealed there. I pray that we might have an understanding, discernment from your Spirit. May we have an understanding of the Word of God this morning, not just intellectually or academically, but Lord, spiritually. May we understand the truth and the importance of this truth as it is revealed, as it is declared in Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. Lord, we thank you for the privilege it is to declare your word. And I pray this morning, as your word declares that the very words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart might be pleasing in your sight. Lord, we pray and we desire this to be true. For it's in Christ's name we ask. Amen. Thank you and be seated. Last week we concluded uh, the portion of our study through Ephesians, which we've been going through now for well over a year, and we saw in the portion we concluded last week, uh, the latter portion of Ephesians chapter 5 and now into chapter 6, we've examined uh, through this particular portion of this study, Christ-like living in the covenant relationship of marriage and family. And within these chapters, we discover God's intent and purpose for relationship and that it is to be, for God has purpose for it to be a display of the covenant relationship between the Lord Jesus Christ and His church. And again, when we read chapters uh, 1 through 3, I want to mention this, as I've done throughout this entire study of Ephesians, the two major divisions of the entire epistle are chapters 1 through 3 and then chapters 4 through 6. And of course, in chapters 1 through 3, we find, as Paul does throughout his epistles, he is laying doctrinal, foundational truth to these Gentiles, these Ephesian believers. And then in chapters 4 through 6, He calls them and instructs them, exhorts them to live out that truth. As we see in chapter 4, the very beginning verse of the chapter, if you recall with me, Paul states in introducing this practical portion of the epistle, he says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. And so here, of course, stating that his exhortation for these Ephesian believers to walk according to the position... They've been provided in Jesus Christ as he so clearly emphasized and declared throughout chapters 1 through 3. And again, if you look at chapters 4 through 6 separated or isolated from chapters 1 through 3, you've missed the entire purpose of everything Paul is teaching. Everything he says in chapter 4, 5, and 6 is in relation to, it is rooted and grounded in the position which he explains we have in Jesus Christ in the first three chapters of this epistle. So again, chapters 1 through 3 is all about we are in Christ. Chapters 4 through 6 are all about Christ is in us. And it's what it looks like when we as believers understand the position we've been given in Jesus and we live and embrace that position, live in that position, and therefore now Christ is living His life through us. And it is His life being demonstrated, being manifested, not simply us mimicking His life. It is His life in us. Again, Galatians 2.20. Paul makes it very clear. The same Paul that wrote Ephesians, he says that I'm crucified 
died with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. So Paul says, I'm alive, yet I am dead concerning this flesh, but Christ is the life that is now lived in me and demonstrated through me. And he goes on to say, of course, the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In the next verse, I do not frustrate the grace of God. I do not nullify or make void the grace of God. For if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. So if righteousness is a product of one's own ability or efforts, then Jesus died for absolutely no reason, and his death is wasted and useless if that be the case. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. It means nothing. So we know that's not the case at all, though. We know that our righteousness is of Christ and Christ alone. Our life is Christ and Christ alone living in and through us. So we must approach all of these chapters, 4, 5, and 6, with this understanding, with a understanding, an understanding that this is all about the position we have in Christ, Him living His life in and through us. In chapter 5, 31 through 33, we've seen this many times, Paul explains this concerning the marital covenant relationship when he says, For this call shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, or nonetheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So here, Paul again is saying, after all of the, the, the writing he's done concerning marriage, the, the marital covenant relationship responsibilities of the wife, and the marital covenant relationship responsibilities of the husband, he then says, this is a great mystery that two are joined into one, one flesh. He said, however, however, this is not about your marriage. It's not about you at all. It's not about your spouse. This is about Christ and his church. And we must understand this foundational truth in all of this writing. Because immediately what most do is they take chapter 5, for instance, and start teaching wives are to submit unto their own husbands as unto the Lord. In chapter 525, husbands are to love their wives even as Christ loved the church. In chapter 6-1, children are to obey their parents in the Lord. In chapter 6-4, fathers are to teach their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. In chapter 6, 5 through 7, servants or employees, as we'll see are to, in, our, in our understanding and culture, are to be obedient as unto Christ, doing service as to the Lord. Chapter 6, 9, masters or employers, again, in our cultural, cultural setting or society, are to lead, knowing that your master also is in heaven. I mentioned during, uh, many times during our study of this epistle to the Ephesians, all the practical truths which Paul declares are rooted in chapters 1 through 3. And so the relationships within the home are first God's purpose of reflecting the glory of the covenant relationship between Christ and his church. If you think of it, think of it like in this manner. When God created man, he then took Eve, uh, man's rib, of course, Adam, and formed Eve. And so he made them, they came as one flesh in that sense, and God joined them together and made them one. So the first uh, thing God instituted in terms of, 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 of history in creation was that he instituted the marital covenant relationship. He did that with Adam and Eve. And so we must understand as Paul addresses all of this, he begins with the husband and wife in this respect, and it is of great and tremendous importance that the marital covenant relationship demonstrate the, the beauty of Christ and his church and that relationship which exists therein. And so we must recognize that this is significant between the, the covenant relationship of a woman and a man in marriage. However, as we discovered from this passage of Scripture, including our text this morning and last week concerning children and, and parents a, a couple weeks ago and then fathers and children or parents and children last week, we also see 
purpose in revealing the beauty of his relationship with his children extends beyond the home and it extends into every relationship which a believer may have. Let's begin this morning again in verse 5 and we'll see servants or employees as we'll see work as unto the Lord is the command. Servants, uh, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. So let's begin first by considering the subjects of Paul's exhortation. This is an exhortation to servants, but what does this mean exactly? Well, the Greek word translated servants in this text is the word doulos, and it literally means slave. That's what it actually means. So Paul is saying slaves. So we understand what a slave is. Again, in our context, in our cultural setting, Not that we embrace that ideology today, obviously, but yet we understand even in American history, slavery and such. But even in biblical history, it was somewhat different than what we even understand it to be in American history. And whenever he says slaves or servants, this is literally slaves. These are people, not only people that are are bond slaves, but then there's also the, the hired slaves in the sense that there were those who were servants that were hired, and then there were those who were slaves that were in bondage. They had to serve in this capacity. And so it has a little bit of, a, of, a, of a, an aspect to it that we may not consider um, when we read the word slave in today's cultural setting or in today's society by its standards. However, we need to understand this historical context in which the passage was written is one in which there were, again, bond servants or slaves, and Paul's instruction to such who found themselves in that position was to be a reminder, an encouragement, and a to them. While we live in a culture which rejects the notion or the ideology, of course, of slavery, and rightly so, from our historical perspective, we find there remain similarities of this idea within our society today. And so we need to understand that. When Paul says slaves are servants here, and then he goes on to explain how they are to act in the relationship with their master, with those who are in authority over them, we must understand that though we do not have slavery today in the same sense as it once was even in American history, we also must understand that there are truths here which are still very applicable in the society in which we live. And so we must recognize these similarities. In other words, while we do not force, bind people to serve, the fact remains that when we are employed, for instance, we are selling our time, we are selling our skills, and we are selling our abilities to someone else. And this means that whoever it is who employs us has the right to instruct us concerning what they want done and how they want it done. From such employment at any time, and in most cases, for any reason, the fact remains that if someone accepts a job, they are submitting themselves to another's oversight and are obligated to perform according to the desires or instruction of the one who has employed him or her. So, while the historical context of Paul's instruction may not apply to our present-day culture in the same sense, the principle of what Paul states is still more than accurate for the culture in which we do live. And so it's with this understanding of the culture of the society which Paul wrote, in contrast with our own culture today, that we can see there is a similarity between these referred to by Paul as servants or slaves in Paul's day and those referred to as employees in our society. Now, 
I'm not simply saying that slaves means employees by any stretch of the imagination. But I want you to understand that what Paul is talking about is that the relationship in the home is to be an overflow of the relationship that one has with Christ. And therefore, it's to demonstrate the beauty of the relationship with Christ and His church. And that's good for wives and husbands, husband and wives, children and parents, and parents' children. We've seen that clearly over the past several weeks. Now, Paul extends that instruction beyond the home and literally is saying in, uh, for, for us to understand, no matter what position or situation you may be in in life outside of the home, so let's, for our understanding, use this term, that not only is there to be Christ-like living within the home, but there is Christ-like living within the workplace. And so Paul is addressing this matter with servants, with slaves, or might we say, for our understanding, employees. Those who are under the authority, under the instruction, under the command of another, whether they like it or not. Because might I say to you, a slave didn't necessarily love being a slave. And today, many who are employed don't necessarily love those who employ them or love the manner in which they may operate and function. So see, are you getting this now? We must understand that Christ-like living moves beyond the home alone. It begins there in terms of the institution of marriage, as Paul declares here. But yet he's saying these relationships extend beyond the home, even into the workplace and in the culture in which we live. So let's look second at the focus through 7. He goes on to say, be servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart, as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men. So within instruction, Paul calls slaves, or again, we'll say employees in this case, to be obedient to those who are in authority over them. In doing so, Paul also provides the way this is to be done. Notice he says, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. And then he goes on to speak of in singleness of your heart as unto Christ and goes on and expounds on that a little bit further. So the command here to be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, this command to be obedient involves one hearing or listening to the instruction of the one who is an authority over them. So Paul is commanding that those who are under authority of another have the proper respect in that they pay attention, that they hear the instruction that they are given. And then he goes on to explain, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart, as unto Christ. The noun fear means profound respect. The noun trembling implies and the term singleness of heart means sincerity. So Paul is instructing these slaves, or in our society again, employees, to sincerely pay attention with profound respect and awe concerning the authority that is over them. Most importantly, Paul then states that this is to be done as unto Christ. So here's what you have to understand. Let me show you where this gets very practical but very profound at the same time. You cannot, as a believer in Jesus Christ, it is absolutely impossible to to compartmentalize Christian life. If you are a believer and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are to live unto Christ in fellowship with one another, such as we gather today. You are to live in fellowship with Christ within your home, and you are to 
in fellowship with Christ in the workplace. And too, but too many times, obviously, there are those who, as you are aware, think that this is the way it is in church, this is the way it is in home, and this is the way it's out in the real world. Listen, the reality is this. If you are different in any one of those areas, then you're hypocritical in those areas. The fact of the matter is this all ties us back to Christ and His church, and we are to live this way in submission unto Christ. And we are to serve Christ. People say, I hate my job. Well, I mean, thankfully you live in a society in which you could, and right now, listen, if you hate your job, there's plenty of places you can find a job right now. Evidently you have to be a certain height because they all say they're short-staffed. But the point is, you can actually find a job pretty much anywhere you want to at this point in time. By large, I'm saying, if you need a job. So jobs are out there. And the reality is, people are hiring, right? You say, I hate my job. Well, you have the opportunity and privilege in a society in which we live to where you can pursue another means of income, another means of life, a a, a way of living, that is, and and supporting yourself, your family, what have you. But the reality is, regardless of whether you hate the position you're in or not, that has no bearing whatsoever in the manner in which you are to live as a believer in Jesus Christ. We are to submit to those in authority over us. We are to serve as unto Christ and not unto men. Again, we see the importance of this exhortation as unto Christ in how every relationship is to be an overflow of the relationship one has with the Lord Jesus Christ. Third, purpose for this exhortation. Under letter C, verses 6 and 7. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as the Lord and not to men. Paul emphasizes the respect and obedience regarding authority is not to be done for the sake of keeping up an appearance, nor is it to be motivated by the desire to seek after the approval of others. It is not uncommon for men to act in a self-serving manner. In other words, it is easy for men to do things for self-exaltation or out of a desire to receive recognition for their actions. And Paul provides this warning from this verse. He explains that such behavior is not about serving or pleasing others or climbing some proverbial ladder in in society or in the workplace or even in the church. It has nothing to do with any of that, but rather it is to be done, service is to be done, work is to be done in submission to the Lord. Notice what Paul says, as the servants of Christ. Understanding this truth, we have to labor under someone in this life. There is always someone who's an authority over us. There is always someone whom we answer to. But let us never forget, ultimately, we answer to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we are following Him in submission according to His Word, if we understand that this is all about His glory, not our lives, not what we want, not what we desire, but God's purpose being fulfilled and God's eternal purpose in Jesus Christ being accomplished and demonstrated in the world in which we live, all to His glory, if we recognize that, then we must concede that really our service is not unto any other man, it's unto the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our Master, who is our Lord. And so Paul is making this point here. And look, this is important. And I know we look at this verse, these verses and we're going, okay, you're talking about work. No, I'm not. I'm talking about a believer's life being in submission to Christ, that Christ's beauty, uh, the beauty of the relationship he has with his church, his faithfulness, his grace, might be demonstrated and manifested in a world that does nothing of such apart 
from the grace of God is demonstrated in His church and believers. Listen, if you don't know this, you need to wake up and realize this. And it's always been this way. We live in a wicked world. We live in a spiritually dark, depraved, desperate world. And there's nothing you're going to do to change that. You're not going to change it. You can try all you will, do what you will. You're not going to change that. But here's what God's called us to do and privileged us to do. To proclaim the gospel, to demonstrate the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to live in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ according to His word, not man's standards. Forget men's standards. Look at what God has declared, His word, and live accordingly in submission to Christ that He might be glorified, that the gospel might be proclaimed, and that God's glory be manifest and revealed in a world that's in desperate need for such to be the will of God from the heart. Wait a minute. You're telling me that here Paul is equating hearing, paying attention, sincerely paying attention to hearing instruction from those who are over us, whether we want them to be over us or not, that this is equated to doing the will of God? Yes. How do you, how do you, how do you come to that? How do you reconcile that? Well, there's really no reconciliation here. Because Paul is saying, you're not the servants of men, you are the servants of Christ. And guess what Christ has declared? Submit to those in authority over you. Hear them. Now, of course, if they're telling us to go against Scripture, we submit to God, as Peter says. Do we obey God or man? No, we obey God. If you think that's wrong, then that's on you, but we're going to obey God. We're not talking about disobedience to Scripture. We're talking about in normal, everyday life, as those who would rule over us, as those who are in authority over us, like them, don't like them. Makes no difference. We are to submit to the authority that is over us. And listen, when Paul says slaves, you have to understand. Now, we know from Old Testament that there were slaves that committed their entire lives to their masters because they loved their master, they loved their wives, they loved their children, and they said, we will stay forever because this master has treated us well, has treated us fairly. Therefore, they commit their whole lives to live in slavery, in bondage, if you will, but they do that willingly. And we know that that's the case in the Old Testament. And they bind themselves willingly to the master that they had. But you also have to understand that, as is obviously the case here, as we'll see in other scripture as well, not every situation was such. So when Paul says, slaves, that you are to be obedient unto your masters, some of these he speaks to don't want the masters they have. And there's nothing they can necessarily do to change the position they're in. Are you following this? That's all irrelevant, though. It is about submission to your master. You are the servant of Christ. And you are to do his will according to his word. So the point of Paul addressing those who were slaves is to provide them instruction concerning the importance of their testimony before God in daily living. While addressed the significance of Christ-like living in the home, he now is again emphasizing that Christ-like living outside is also of tremendous importance. It is one thing, again, to act a certain way in the home or one way to act in fellowship with the church, but such behavior is only as authentic as one's behavior in the world or in the workplace. So I'm saying to you, you act one way when you're in fellowship with the church, one way in home, and I'm talking about character coming out and lifestyle. I'm not talking about you can say things to your family, enjoy time with your family differently than others. Of course, we're talking about one's 
uh, way of life, the way in which one communicates himself, his lifestyle, the way he lives. And I'm saying to you, as Scripture declares it to be, not just here, of course, it's implied here, obviously, but yet as Scripture declares it to be, that if the way we live outside of the church fellowship and outside of the home differs from the way in which we live in the church fellowship and in the home, then you're a hypocrite. Period. It's all hypocrisy. Paul explains the importance now, or the purpose for this exhortation. You say, why is this important? Why, why set aside, if you're just dealing with a home and with children, marital relationship, what is so significant about this that Paul would bring it up? Well, Paul explains in the epistle to Timothy that the purpose for this exhortation is that the Lord's name and doctrine or teaching not be blasphemed. In 1 Timothy 6, 1 and 2, listen to what Paul writes. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor here for this reason, so that, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. That's pretty significant. Now Paul's saying, here's the reason. It's not just about you getting promotions in your workplace. It's not just about your, you finding favor in your master's eyes. Are you following? He says, this is what's important. You profess Christ. You walk with Christ. Then your actions in the world can bring a reproach upon the name of God as you profess it to be and the doctrine, the teaching of God as he has declared it. So this, has, this is a weighty matter. This is of tremendous significance. Paul says, they that have believing masters, now he says, now if you have believing masters, if there are slaves or servants who have masters over them who are believers, as are they, he said, let them not despise them because they are brethren. So don't despise the fact that this man's over you. God has ordained it so to be. And you are to understand your lot, your place, and you are to have respect unto them and love them as a brother. He said, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. This is serious, and Paul and Timothy helps us to understand how serious it really is. Then D, the reward of following this exhortation, verse 8, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Now notice what he says here. Whatsoever good thing any man doeth. Now we understand good thing. We know there's none, there's none that doeth good. There's none righteous. Paul makes that very clear in Romans, of course, chapter 3. And we understand that men do not do good things themselves. Anything good is a godly thing. It's meaning, again, it's God doing through them what they are attempting to do, even as believers. It's not that we do good things. We live out righteousness because Christ has imputed his righteousness unto us. Righteousness comes from us because he is righteous. And whose life is it, Paul says? It's the life of Christ in me, not me living. And so I don't produce good. You don't produce good. You can't produce good. But all that he does is good. And so in submission to him, his spirit is working, living in us. The fruit of the spirit is evident, and the gift of the, we've been gifted by the spirit, and we are to submit to the spirit, and therefore comes forth from God's work is good. Because God is good. Things well. So here in verse 8, we see the Lord sees the heart of man, including the intent and motive behind all that is done. And the Lord honors his word, and therefore those who submit to the Lord and his truth will receive the reward of following after the Lord. 
And might I say to you, when we speak of reward, it doesn't mean, again, you're going to be climbing ladders. It doesn't mean the slave is going to get out from under the slavery. It doesn't mean that an employee is now going to get to retire and quit working because he follows after the Lord. Look, those aren't the benefits of following after the Lord. Might I say to you, there is no joy and there is no peace and there is no reward like that of being in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And those who are in submission to the Lord, walking in obedience to the Lord because it is the faith of Christ in them, given to them by God to follow after Him, those who live in such a manner, they, we have a joy and a peace that surpasses any conflict or any situation that exists in the life in which we live otherwise. Colossians 3, 22-24, Paul says this, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God, such as he says in Ephesians, as is the case. Ephesians and Colossians have many very similar passages together. Verse 23, he said, he said, fearing God, verse 23, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Here he says again, not man pleasers, not serving men, but serving God, knowing that of, that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Here it is again, when you are in submission to the Lord serving Him, there is reward beyond explanation and beyond expectation. Not meaning you're going to get rich, not meaning you get what you want and desire in the sense of out of this life that I'm having to live, out of the daily ground, whatever it may be. No. Out of conflict, no. Out of, of opposition, no. But rather what he is saying is that there is a reward that exceeds all of it. Think about what Paul said before we move forward and we'll be finished. But let me say this. Remember what Paul said in Corinthians when he speaks how, of course, that this lot of affliction is but for a moment, but he recognized it worked a far more great exceeding eternal weight of glory. Paul is saying God is accomplishing through all of my conflict. And let me tell you something. You talk about a man who suffered greatly, Paul suffered greatly. You remember what the Lord said to Ananias? He said to Ananias, concerning Paul's conversion in Acts chapter 9, he said that to Ananias, oh, but Lord, I've heard many things about this man, Saul, or Paul. And the Lord said, go, he's a chosen vessel unto me. And then the Lord said to Ananias, I will show him what great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And yet that same Paul said, oh, all this is but a light affliction. How could he make such a statement? Because he understood it's not about himself and his circumstances. It's about the glory of God, which is being revealed through all of this. And God's glory will ultimately be revealed throughout all of eternity. And Paul recognized that. And therefore, he said, all this is but a light thing. Now, listen, if you think the reward that Paul speaks of was prosperity, or you think it's health, or you think it's easy living, then you're absolutely dead wrong. Paul himself didn't experience those things. But yet he says, all this is but a small thing. For there's a great weight of glory that is being accomplished. Or let's say employers for the sake of understanding how this is their similarities. Rule with reverence for God and grace towards others. He says, and ye masters do the same things unto them, unto the slaves, unto the servants, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. So Paul declared the same truth in his epistle to the Colossians, as I mentioned a moment ago. In Colossians 4.1, he says, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. His instruction for masters to not threaten their slaves goes back to Old Testament law concerning even the hired servants. The law declared, declared in Leviticus 25.43, Thou shalt not rule over him with rigor, but shalt fear thy God. 
Masters are what could be considered employers in our culture or society, are warned to treat those under their authority in the fear of God, who is their master, with grace towards those they rule, as God is also gracious. And when he says there's no respect of persons, the context here is very clear. What he's saying is, oh, so you have God as a master, that doesn't mean you have favor over the slave. That's not what that means at all. God has an order and he puts things in order as he chooses and so desires to do. So when he says he has no respect of persons, he's clearly saying that the servant is not less than the master or the master is not greater than the servant just because they're in that lot in life or that position of life. Hear me again and let me tell you how this obviously correlates to where we live today as well. There are many who look at others and what they possess or their success in life, and all believers, let's say, forget the world for a moment, let's say among the, within the true believing church of the Lord Jesus Christ, there are those who do really well and excel and exceed, who serve the Lord and love the Lord and fear the Lord and are good to others and, and hospitable to believers and giving and such, and they prosper and they do well, and then there are those who don't do as well, and it may be nothing of their own fault, not like they've ruined themselves, it's just the fact of their lot in life, if you will. And many times what happens is believers think on both sides of the fence here that because the one who has excelled or successful, they can get to the point of thinking, boy, boy, God's really pleased with me, isn't he? Or the one who's not doing as well in finances or in life itself may say, boy, God really favors that one, he doesn't favor me, I don't What have I done? Or why doesn't God love me? Let me tell you something. God's love is not demonstrated by your physical well-being, by your fleshly monetary goods. God's love has been manifested, demonstrated, and received in one event, and that was in the giving of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, whether you are doing poorly or whether you are doing successfully, the fact of the matter is simply this. None of that in any way dictates God's love for you, God's love towards you as a believer in Jesus Christ. We are loved of God the same in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. I'm speaking to believers here. We as believers are loved of God the same in the person of His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. So God is not respecting a master over a slave, neither is He respecting a slave over a master. But He's saying, again, remember this, before, and it's so important to remember, we are all equally undeserving. We are all should therefore be equally as thankful and grateful to the Lord for this grace given in Jesus Christ because there's not one of us who deserve grace more so than the other. So we should all be grateful. So here we understand that God's love is not determined by your well-being in life. Again, how would you think Paul could know the love of God if that's what it was when he suffered so greatly as God declared he would? The fact of the matter is God... Paul knew he was loved in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's all that mattered. So here he's saying, masters, you are to rule in in the authority, in your position of authority, in the fear of God, who is your master, with grace towards those over whom you rule, as God is also gracious to you, recognizing that just because you're in this position doesn't give you any standing with God separate than those who are under you, who also know the Lord. It is imperative that both those under authority and for those who are in authority to live their lives in submission to the Lord who is the true master overall. The reason all this is even worthy of being included in this exhortation, again, it's explained by Paul in his epistle to Timothy, as we read a moment ago, let me read it again, 1 Timothy 6, 1 and 2. Our verse 1, Let as many servants as are under of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. 
As Paul also declared, God is not a respecter of persons. All are under his authority and lordship and are therefore to live according to his word and for his glory. The relationships within the, within the workplace, as Paul would mention, as in the home, are to begin be an overflow or an extension of one's relationship and fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether you are under the authority of another in the workplace or whether you are the one in authority over others in the workplace, the reality is whether you are a slave, whether you are a master, the truth remains we are all, as believers in Christ, to live willingly in submission to our Lord, to our master, knowing that we are in submission to him, all one and the same. And when we understand that, you know what that means? That means masters understand that it's not just a slave to serve them, but they also are to serve the slave because they are serving Christ. So this is important. And again, it points to the truth of God's glory being revealed in a world that is in desperate, dire need. Because as Paul explains, in Christ... But if you are in Christ, that also means Christ is in you. And therefore, your life is going to demonstrate the truth of the presence and power of Christ dwelling and living in you. Actually alluding to from the scriptures here in, in helping to under, help us to understand that Paul is stating that, again, this is our service unto Christ, which therefore translates to service unto others in a practical sense, but we must not lose focus and think we are serving someone else. Even if you are a slave, you're not serving this man. You're serving your Lord. And if you are a master, then you must remember, you're not just ruling over this man. You are serving your Lord. In the role God gave you as master, in the role God gave you as employer, let's just say, in, for understanding our, our society and our culture, in that situation, yeah, you may have the final say, you may have the word, but listen, if your life is not submitted to Christ and you're not demonstrating the grace of God and you're not serving even those who serve you or work for you and you're not willing to serve them and minister to them, then you're not doing the will of God and God's glory is not being revealed in your life as it should be as a follower of Christ because you're not following Him. Think about Christ Himself. He's the Master. He came and washed the disciples' feet. He served them, did he not? And he is the Lord of all, the creator of all that is. And yet he humbled himself and he set us an example. Christ is much more than an example. He does set an example at the same time that we should follow after him. So as a believer, of course, this is a means by which God's glory is being revealed. And it's a means too, obviously, to remind us to remain humble, not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Because if you are in a position of leadership, a position of ruling, a position of, of employer, let's say, or what have you, a position of pastor, let's say, if you're not submitted to Christ and recognizing his lordship, you will easily set yourself up and expect others to do the same thing. So we are to be submitted to him that his glory, and it is following that same suit as previously already studied. It's just now we're dealing with different relationships than the marital covenant relationship or family relationship dynamic. Now it's moving into beyond that into the workplace. In other words, your, your authenticity as a follower of Christ is going to be seen in every aspect of your life. You cannot compartmentalize that. You can't. Because Christ is your life. And you can't turn him on and off in your life and you don't want to if you're a believer. So his life will be demonstrated, will be manifested, and in doing so, the gospel is going to get, not just by action, I don't mean 
this lifestyle evangelism. I'm saying you're going to be submitted to him in declaring the truth of the gospel and also in living out the truth you declare. And usually there's a huge disconnect in one of those two, honestly. There are those who are so hyped up on declaring the gospel, declaring the gospel, and yet their lives aren't lived accordingly at all. And then there's those who say, I'll just live out the truth of the gospel, and they never, talk, never declare the gospel. What? No. The power of the gospel, as God would use it in the life of those who are followers of Christ, he's given us the ministry of reconciliation, and he's given us the word of reconciliation. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, so I'm supposed to declare reconciliation? I'm also supposed to live out reconciliation. So our lives are to support the truth we declare. And that can only be done when we're living in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So let us walk in submission. Let us live in submission to He who has redeemed us, to He who has loved us, to He who is our Master, no matter what lot we may have in life.